Jesus, we are grateful for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you carried us through another week. Lord, we're grateful that, that you conquered death. Lord, that, that you said that the same power that raised you from the dead is alive and active and in us. Jesus, if there's any area of our lives where we need to tap into that power, God, will you show it to us right now? Lord, would you show us where, where we could trust you more and where you are just waiting? You are just waiting for us to realize that you have been there the whole time. Lord, we don't come into this building every week because we think it does some magical power in our lives. Lord, we do it because we want to worship you. And not just in song, but in our lives. Lord, we want to, to look more like you. God, we want to speak more like you. Jesus, we want to give more like you. Lord, we even want to think how you think. Jesus, as we talk today about holiness, about being more and more like you, can we rem remember at the start, Lord, that the promise is holiness, but the power that we do, that we accomplish this through, is through your Holy Spirit, not through our own efforts. So God, thank you that your Holy Spirit is moving in the background, even when I am too ignorant to see it. Just help me to see your presence and help me to hear your truth today. God, we love you so incredibly much. And we ask that you would be about anchor this morning and that we would be about you. It's in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. How are you doing? It's bright. Yeah. Um, my dad was really proud of this joke, and I'm pretty sure that you've probably already heard it. Um, but I figured I'd just start us out with a terrible dad joke um, since I didn't get to do one on Father's Day, which was like, what? L Lindsay, that was, the, that was the moment. But um, where do one-legged people work? IHOP! That's a good one! Uh, Caleb, you, you're eating. That was good. Um, well, good morning. Uh, I hope you're excited. I am a little jazzed up, if you could tell, during announcements. I, uh... <laughs> oh, crud, the tables have turned. Um, I have been preparing myself to live in uh, Aurora in a camper in Walmart parking lot, and that's been a weird experience to pack for. Um, very, very strange. I've been really worried that I'm going to forget something that I want to have there. And then I get worried that I'm packing too much because Walmart is right outside my door. And so it's like this 
catch 22. And so <laughs> we'll see what happens. But so next Sunday when you see me, I will be preaching still. And, but that will be post seven days at, at the fireworks stand sleeping there. I remember last year, when, or two years ago when we did it, this guy, and I don't know, <laughs> it just blows my mind that this actually happened to me. This man, the whole parking lot is empty. But he pulls up this huge RV next to me. And I'm not kidding you, he is blaring a Billy Joel concert. And it is 11.30 at night. And I, this was like a few days into the stand and I was a bear. I was like, no, no, no. And like, this was not one of my finest moments as I'm living in Walmart in my camper, and, or in a camper and my hair's all crazy and I'm in charge of a fireworks stand. And I knock on his door and he goes, what? And I said, what do you mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> could you like turn it down and he said and he literally just shut the door in my face and drove off and I thought man Billy Joel um, so prayers for that as we enter into that but that really has nothing to do with what we're talking about today I just figured you know it's a good story but uh, <laughs> mercy uh, have you ever overlooked something uh, my mom was notorious that if she texted me and I did not respond within three minutes. I would have a text message every three minutes until I found that text message. And it was always so funny to me because it would progress. She'd be like, hey, Lindsay, how's your week going? Hey, Lindsay, can we talk? Hey, Lindsay, and then she'd call me and I didn't have my phone or whatever. So then she'd be like, hey, do you have your phone on you? <laughs> uh, hey, did you get my text? Hey, are you seeing these? <laughs> I'm like, Obviously not. Um, and it would always happen. And I remember, and I go through some of my mom's text messages, and it is so hard because it's just individual. Hey, what are you doing? 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 <laughs> and feeling overlooked is not fun. Um, I would get an earful after one of those experiences, and I'd get back to my phone, and there'd be like 30 notifications. <laughs> I'd be like, Aw, mom's trying to reach me, you know? Uh, <laughs> but worse than being, you know, overlooking a text message or your gas gauge is when you feel overlooked, you know? This is when your brother forgets to call you on your birthday when you're turning 25 years old. Not a specific scenario, but whatever. Um, <laughs> this, is <laughs> this is when, you know, somebody, you're talking to somebody and they're sitting on their phone during like an important leadership meeting at 9.30 this morning. Not specific at all, Dale. Um, <laughs> this, is <laughs> this is when you are talking with somebody and, <laughs> and you can feel that they're just kind of looking through you to something else that is happening. Um, this is also when my dog decides that she's going to start licking my face at 7.30 in the morning and I roll over um, <laughs> and go back to sleep. Uh, being overlooked is not fun. It doesn't feel good. And even worse than being overlooked by other people is when you feel overlooked by God. Have you ever felt overlooked by God? You know, this is, this is way worse. This is when, man, there's huge plans in your life and they fall through. This is when you have prayed for years and still it hasn't come about. This is when you tried your hardest and still you are let down. And, and this, this is the worst. 
It's the worst kind of feeling to feel like somebody has forgotten you, especially your Heavenly Father. So welcome to week four of Homecoming. And during this series, we have been talking about how uh, holiness is a homecoming, where, where our souls, they find rest and peace in holiness. And this week, uh, we've been talking about different physical and tangible needs that we have as humans and seeing how we find them in the world and then how we ought to find them in Christ. Now, this week's word is intimacy. And everybody's like, hubba, hubba, like this is going to be fun. No wonder Lindsay's so weird today. Um, But uh, not that kind of intimacy. Uh, I already talked about sex once this year, so I'm good for like another 12 months. Um, but, But intimacy, when it is defined, it means closeness. It means familiarity. It means friendship with another. It means never having to worry that you're going to be overlooked. Never having to worry that they're just going to forget about you or look right through you. And there was uh, some folks in the Bible that felt like they had been overlooked. And they had been overlooked by God is what they felt. We're going to look at these two characters today, actually three later on, but Abram and Sarai. And Abram and Sarai, they were promised a huge promise. So turn with me to Genesis 15. And we're going to look at Genesis 15, starting in verse 4. It says, Then the Lord said to him, to Abram, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. So this is in the middle of a conversation that Abram and God are having, where Abram says to the Lord, I'm going to have to get one of my servants to carry on my lineage, because I don't have any kids. And what the Lord does is that he takes Abram outside, and he says, look up at the stars. Now I have a picture of the stars. And, And I imagine that this is what he was looking at, because, you know, if you're looking at it from downtown Colorado Springs, you might be able to count the stars. Um, But in the middle of the land of Canaan, where there's no lights or pollution or anything, he sees all these stars, and the Lord says, count them. He says, count them. That's how many blessings that I have for you. And I think the same is true of you. Count them. Could you count them? He says, this is how much I have for you. And he looks up at the stars, and Abram suddenly has this divine purpose that the Lord cares about me so much that the same God who hung those stars in the sky, he says, that's how many blessings I have for you. And so Abram goes on, and him and Sarai move to the land of Canaan, which is their promised land. Under these stars, they build their home. And they build a home for themselves, and then they wait. They wait for this to start. And then, after waiting 
they wait some more. And then after waiting longer, they wait even longer. And if I'm Sarai in this moment, I'm thinking, we got to get cooking, guys. Like, something's got to happen, you know? Well, we have to get going. And they wait actually 10 years. And when Abram, and when Abram stood under these stars the first time, he was already 75 years old. 75 years old, and then they wait 10 years. And I think that when we look at time in the Bible, like 10 years doesn't seem that big of a deal because it's the Bible, you know? It's so many years. But I want to give you kind of a perspective on what 10 years looks like. I have a picture of my niece Lola. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So 10 years ago, almost to the day, I went to Omaha, Nebraska to visit Lola and I guess my sister too. Um, <laughs> and this is what she looked like. And man, those cheeks, okay? She had cheeks for days and they were so cute. Um, and this is what Lola looked like. And then this past week, I went and visited Lola and I guess the rest of my family. And this is what she looks like today. Like a lot can happen in 10 years. Suddenly those cheeks have gotten a little less squishier, which makes my heart a little, little hurt, but whatever. Um, but a lot can happen in 10 years. People grow up, things change. And imagine what this would have felt like 10 years long. 10 years, Abram and Sarai look at each other and they think, what's happening? Think of the embarrassment. You know, did they have friends that were like, those guys thought they were going to have kids, you know? Think of the pain of counting the stars every night and thinking, I haven't even had one yet. Think of all of the disappointment thinking, maybe the Lord was lying. Or maybe, just maybe, the Lord has forgotten. Have you ever been there? Maybe the Lord has forgotten. Maybe, I don't know, I thought I did a great job and now this happened. I thought my marriage was bulletproof. I thought I had everything and then time passes as quickly as the second hand on a clock. And still it hasn't happened. And despite our best efforts, there is a simple lie that whispers into our ear and that is, the Lord has forgotten about you. Lord's overlooked it. Did you really hear what you thought you heard? Maybe you're there today. Maybe you feel overlooked. What I want to do today is I want to look at this story of Abram and Sarai and see how it unfolds. And I want to show you what we do when we feel overlooked. What we do when we ourselves feel overlooked by the world or by God himself. What we do when we feel overlooked. So let's keep reading in this story. Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Listen to the words even there. The Lord has withheld this from me. The Lord has prevented this from happening. Uh, he, she says, go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So the first thing that we do when we feel overlooked 
is that we blame ourselves. This is what Sarai does in this moment. You know, Sarai waits an entire decade and she starts to think, well, you know, God said that Abram was going to be the father of nations. He didn't say that I was going to be the mother of nations. You know, she starts thinking, you know, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I shouldn't be counting the stars. Maybe if I was just better, then this situation would work out. Maybe if Abram just had somebody better, his life would be better off. And I imagine that she looks up at the stars every single night and thinks, what is wrong with me? What have I done to deserve this? See, Sarai is one of the very first characters in the Bible to exhibit symptoms of depression. Uh, Sigmund Freud, he said that the key difference between general sadness and depression is self-blame. And he says, not just self-blame, but overgeneralized self-blame. Meaning, I look up at the night sky and I have met face to face with the God who put them there, and somehow it's my fault. It means blaming yourself for things that are completely out of your control. And Sarai did just that. She looked at the promise of God, she looked at the creator of the universe, and she said, something's wrong with me. Look at this, verse 3. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave him, or gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So there was a study that actually happened in uh, the University of Manchester, and they set out to prove this theory that, that depression is linked to self-blame or self-guilt. And so what they did is that they took two test groups. And test group A were people that had never experienced depression. And they went to them and they said, okay, we're gonna give them all statements that would make them feel guilty. And they did this while they were hooked up to an MRI. And so they looked at their brain and they would give them these triggering statements for guilt. And what would happen with the first group is that two parts of their brains would fire. And the two parts that fired were the parts of the brains, one was responsible for social appropriateness, so knowing what was your fault and what wasn't, and the other part of the brain was the part of the brain that was responsible for guilt. And both of those parts of the brain fired simultaneously. Then they took test group B, and test group B had experienced depression before and they gave the same exact statements. And what happened is that the same things fired, but not simultaneously. Actually, the guilt would fire first, and then the social appropriateness. Meaning, I would hear the voice in my head that says, that is your fault. And then I would hear a less convincing one that says that this is appropriate. And they said, this is why it is so important for talking and therapy, to train your mind, literally to train your brain, to not have a decoupling. And I thought that was fascinating because spiritually we do do this. We, we decouple. You know, we have something that we experience. And instead of putting it up against the truth and the promises of God, we believe the lie. 
That's what Sarai was doing all along. She wasn't coupling the promise of God with the waiting. She said, these are two different things, and I'm going to lean into the waiting and blame myself for the waiting and not remember the promise. Verse, uh, uh, verse 4, it says, So Abram has sexual relations with Hagar, which I got kind of like a Bill Clinton vibe in this translation, but um, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> so Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But then Hagar knew she was pregnant. She began to, mi- or to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. So the second thing that we do when we feel overlooked is that we compromise. And sometimes when people teach on this story, it's like, poor Abram, you know, poor poor guy. His wife was just so cannot. It's like we're back in the Garden of Eden again. Like, poor Adam, poor Abram. He was just a a victim of circumstance. No, 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 no. You know, where, where was Abram when he should have been saying, no, you're my wife? Where was Abram when he should have been saying, God has promised this, and so we can't go against him? Where was he when Sarah is counting the stars and getting stressed and blaming herself to say, no, to be, to be a leader in that relationship and say, absolutely not. The Lord has promised us this, Sarai. But instead, he compromises. I love what Dave uh, Guzik puts. Uh, He talks about how we compromise. He says, when we impatiently try to fulfill God's promises in our own effort, it accomplishes nothing. And it may even prolong the time until the promise is fulfilled. And I see people do this all the time. And we all have the same script in this. God isn't moving fast enough and we feel overlooked, and so we compromise out of desperation. Singles. Lord hasn't provided a spouse yet, so I'll just provide one for him, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Uh, You have a job, and you are waiting for success, and for money, and for comfort, and so you make compromises that put Jesus before your job. That says, my relationship with Jesus is secondary to this raise. Married folks, you find out that marriage is actually hard work. And you just wanted the fun parts. Why would anybody blame me for this? And so you decide that you're going to find happiness and fulfillment in something else. And we do this. But let me tell you something. As surely as God has promised you something... He will never, ever tell you to go against his commands to get there. God's plans never require us to ignore God's commands. Meaning the ends, they don't justify the means. Meaning that every time the Lord promises something in my life, there's no shortcuts. There's no loopholes. There's always a way for me to look like Jesus and get that promise. Look at this. The last thing that we do, we run. And boy, do we. Verse 6, it says, Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a stream of water in the wilderness, along the road of Shur. 
And the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. Now this story uh, now shifts to Hagar's perspective. And Hagar is probably the most overlooked of them all. Hagar is an Egyptian slave. Historians believe that this is the slave that was gifted to Abram and Sarai from Pharaoh himself. They say this is the person that was gifted to Abram and Sarai, taken to a foreign land, away from her family, her friends, and everything that she's ever known. And now she's told, hey, you're going to have a baby for us. You're going to go through nine months of yikes. And then you're going to give that baby to us. Like, let's just pause here. She's basically their baby mama, which is terrifying. And also, this is a hot mess. Like, this is a mess. Like, I don't know what your kind of, like, your source of drama of choice is. You know, some of you guys like to watch Cops. Um, late at night, you just really like watching somebody get tased, <laughs> which, like, that's really good entertainment. Um, while I was home, I binge-watched 90 Day Fiance, which, like, yikes, okay? That was really good drama. Uh, other, others of us, we watch action movies. You know, maybe we listen to my dad's drama of choice is uh, the recent tweets from Trump, you know, <laughs> just like, uh, but, but, but we all have this drama of choice, and mine personally is The Bachelorette, and I'm not ashamed to say that. Man, oh, Becca, love her. Okay, anyway, but um, our drama of choice, we all have one, but you have to admit, the Lord one-ups them all. This is a hot mess. You got Abram and Sarai, like, and then all of a sudden this third lady, and like, what is happening? And she runs away. Does anybody blame her? You know, I'd run, probably. But, but the angel of the Lord, he, he finds her. And it says this, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And let's just talk about this for a second. The, the angel of the Lord has a lot of grace because he finds a pregnant lady in the desert with no plans. Like, if that were me, if I was the angel of the Lord, I'd be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, you're just going to sit by this stream and hope it's better? But this shows the desperation that Hagar had. She said anything's better. She ran out into the desert. Dying is better than this. Keep reading. It says, then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means, and I want you to say that with me, God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. In the middle of the desert, an Egyptian woman meets with God, and here's a message that you and I need to hear today, and that is, you are not overlooked. You are seen. You are heard. The entire time this story carries on and the Lord sees the pain. He sees the pain and the self-blame that Sarai has. He sees Abram make compromises that he never thought he would. And he watches Hagar running from this whole mess. And he comes down eye level to her. And he says, 
name your child God hears, because I have heard, I have heard your cries of distress. Stop running. I promise you there's a plan, Hagar. Just trust me on this. Verse 13, thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. In Hebrew, that's el Rai, the God who sees me. This is uh, the only point in scripture where this is used. The God who sees me. And it says uh, that, that uh, Hagar was an Egyptian woman, meaning that all of her life she has worshipped idols that she has made with her own two hands. She's worshipped idols that are made out of clay and of wood. And I imagine all of her life she's sculpting these eyes on these idols to look at her and that she can look into. And the Lord, God, who sees her, meets her in the desert and looks back. That would be some scary stuff. He looks back at her, and she calls him el Rai, the God who sees me. And the same God that met Hagar by the stream met you and I on a cross and says, I see you. You are not overlooked. You are not forgotten. I want to invite the, the team up to get set up, but the same God that sits next to Hagar and looks her in the eyes, leans in and says, I see you. Look at this, what Jesus says in Matthew 28. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, God's timing may not be yours. His methods may not be yours. His plans may not be yours. But his affection is not swayed. It is not changed. It doesn't overlook you. And so what do we do when we feel overlooked? When we feel overlooked, we must look over. And I'm not talking like perusing. <laughs> I'm saying we have to cast our vision higher. We have to look over our circumstances. We have to look over the hurdles that we have to jump, the mistakes and the regrets that we carry. We have to look over the impossibilities that I face. You have to look over the haters and the doubtful Debbies. I don't care. You have to look over them. You have to look over the fears and the doubt and the things that keep you awake at night. You have to look dead center in the eyes of a God that knows what it costs you to follow him. A God who sees you and he sees all the ways that this could go wrong. And yet he still is El Rai, the God who sees you. See, holiness is returning home and to be face to face with God and choosing through the power of his Holy Spirit to allow him to change my mind and my perspective. To say, Lord, I feel overlooked. And despite this visceral feeling, I will press into you more. And I will allow you to change my mind. I love how Paul talks about this in Romans 12. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, 
but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The main question of today is this, are you closer with your doubts than you are with God's promise? Would you take a posture of prayer? Are you closer with your doubts than you are with the Lord's promises? Do you lie awake thinking of the solutions that you could do? Or do you pray for a trust to trust the Lord more and more every day? See, holiness is saying that my feelings and my circumstances, they do not change my intimacy. They do not change my closeness. Listen, every relationship, it gets to a point where you either cut loose or you draw nearer. It happens when we hit trials and we say either I'm going to go closer or I'm going to head for the hills. I don't know what you're facing this, this week, this month, this year, this season, but are you drawing nearer to God in your trials? Are you closer to him when life doesn't go as planned? See, Lord, the beauty of this story is that you still fulfilled all your promises. Lord, Abram became Abraham, the father of nations. Sarai became Sarah, this woman of faith. Hagar, this victim of ungodly choices, she still was protected. Jesus, Lord, you know exactly the ways that I have doubted what you want to do. Lord, I have doubted what you want to do in my life, in my kids' lives. Lord, in my friends' and my coworkers' lives, Lord, I have doubted, I have felt overlooked. Jesus, and I confess that to you. Jesus, I'm sorry. Lord, but I want to trust you again. God, I want to draw near to you again. During this final song, I just want to invite you uh, to participate however you need to this morning. The altars are open to receive prayer. Um, You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, you can dance, you do whatever you need to do. But Lord, this morning we want to ask that you would help us to be closer to you again knowing that you will always meet us, arms wide open.